Good morning, everyone. Take your Bible, go to the book of 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1 is where we are today. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This is God's Word. So, you know what? It matters how something is made. How many of you like to know how your food is made? Have you ever seen the TV show How It's Made? It's on the Science Channel, How It's Made. And there was one episode about how bubblegum was made. And I'm about to tell you. Bubblegum previously used tree resin for its base. You know, the, the gummy part, right? But now it uses a combination of plastic and rubber. <laughs> plastic and rubber and these little pellets that they throw into this big vat. And then they put the flavoring in there. And then they put uh, liquid sugar in there. And then they put powder, a powder type sugar in there. And they mix it all together. And the friction from the movement causes it to melt into this one big gummy mess. And then they pipe it out of there into these machines that force it to get smaller in these big tubes of, you can imagine a big wad of pink bubble gum coming out of a machine like that and into a smaller machine and a smaller machine, putting it through a cooling chamber until another machine chops it up and wraps it in a piece of wrapping paper and then you put it in your mouth and eventually into your stomach. I will never swallow gum again in my life. Might not ever chew it again in my life, you know. I'm not sure how chicken nuggets from Burger King are made. I don't think I want to know that. Um, I'm a little bit scared whenever somebody can sell 10 of something for a dollar. What do you, what does it have to be made of, you know, in order for you to be able to sell it for 10 cents each? I don't think I want that in my body, you know. Um, So you're like, oh, we can't go to Burger King for lunch now. Anyway, it matters how something is made, doesn't it? It matters how we got God's word. If something is made that you know that it was made well, and you know how it was made, it can build confidence in how you engage in it, right? Well, knowing how God's word came to be can also give you confidence. Some people actually lack confidence in God's word, because they don't believe that it's completely accurate. Or because they believe that perhaps God gave it to man in the right kind of way, but then man messed up in some kind of way whenever they actually wrote it down or actually spoke it. But if God's word is actually true in everything it says, and without error and infallible, even to the very words, which is what our statement of faith says, which what you agree to if you're a member here, then that has implications for God's word, doesn't it? That has huge implications for how you engage God's word, whether or not you engage God's word, whether or not you do what it says, right? So today we're considering how scripture came. Now one caveat before I begin, the caveat is that These verses in particular are talking about prophecy of Scripture, as you can see in verse 20 and 21. But 2 Timothy chapter 3 says that all Scripture is breathed out by God 
So I think that these things apply to all of Scripture and not just prophecy. The rest of this sermon will contain, count them, three sections. I will give you the sections before the first one's revealed to you, and then we'll go through them together. The first section will be how Scripture did not come, which we'll see in verses 20 and 21. And then the second one will be how Scripture came, and then the last section will be why is God telling us this? Which we'll see earlier in the, in the verse. First point, first thing, how scripture did not come. We see this in verse 20, at least part of it in verse 20. Look at that with me. It says, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. Prophecy doesn't originate from someone's interpretation. Doesn't mean something because of what I say that it means. I can't inject meaning into what the Bible says. It means something specific, and I have to figure out what it means. And that's what interpreting is, explaining what it means. And because I explain something in a wrong way, it doesn't mean that it means that. Are you tracking with me? So here's what was happening in the, for the recipients of the original letters, of this original letter. Um, Peter had share the gospel with them or they had become a church and Peter was writing to a group of people who had these false teachers among them that were denying the return of Christ specifically they were saying the day of the Lord isn't gonna happen like you think it is and because of that they lived these crazy immoral lifestyles they were sexually immoral they were extremely greedy they were perverse they they had loud boasts of folly like it says in chapter 2 of Second Peter, and they were denying that Jesus is actually going to come back to earth. Did you know the Bible teaches that, by the way? That Jesus is actually going to come back to earth, and the day of the Lord is going to be a wonderful day for, for those of you that know Christ, but for those of you that don't know Christ, it's going to be the worst day ever in eternity for you, because it's going to be a day of judgment. And this is what the Bible promises, but these people were saying that this isn't going to happen. And what they were saying is, oh, these apostles, I know you believe that the day of the Lord is going to come like this, but these apostles, that's just their interpretation of what the scripture says. And so Peter's like, no, 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 prophecy of scripture doesn't come from my interpretation. It doesn't mean that because I'm interpreting that way, I'm just explaining what it means. That's what interpreting the scripture is. Lindsay texted me one day this past week around noon, Lindsay's my wife, And here's what she said. Are you coming home for lunch? I'm warming up some chicken noodle soup. She's amazing, by the way. Imagine someone's interpretation of that text goes like this. Well, home is where the heart is. So we don't really know where Lindsay was when she sent that. And sometimes people metaphorically eat words And I know she likes to read a little bit, so she was probably getting ready to read the Chicken Soup for the Soul book and wanted to know if Jacob wanted to join her for their weekly book reading at Starbucks, which makes people feel very at home. What would you say to that interpretation? Baloney, right? That's a ridiculous explanation of what she meant because I know where she was. She was actually at our house in Clawson inviting me to come home to actually eat real food with her, not metaphorical food, 
chicken noodle soup that she was heating up and she was probably implying, this is where it gets a little fuzzy for me because I'm a guy, she was probably implying, should I heat some up for you? Or maybe she was letting me know what she had so that I could decide if I wanted to eat it. I don't know that part. But I know she was actually at home and she was actually eating up real chicken noodle soup and I went home and it was amazing. You see, just because somebody says this means that doesn't mean that's what it actually means. Are you tracking with me? And the same thing is true for the Bible. People say this frequently. It's a common argument for against believing God's word. I uh, was volunteering uh, recently at a, a church in Royal Oak, and there was a leader in the church. And I was, I'm a, honestly, I'm a little skeptical about um, some churches in our area because they don't actually believe that God's word is really God's word. Um, and so I was asking him, okay, so what is this church about? Do, do you guys believe in Christ? Do you believe the Bible is actually God's word? He said, oh, we believe the Bible is God's word, but you know what? Then there's this whole issue of interpretation. And he was like, eh. In other words, like, how can you really even know what it means? And that's what he meant by saying that God's word is God's word. I had a huge conversation with a guy in college one time about how nobody could really understand what God's word actually means because there are so many interpretations of the actual word of God. Well, I want you to write down a word for me. It's not on the screen. It's a big fancy word. It starts with a P and the word is perspicuity. It's a fancy word, isn't it? Perspicuity. Write it down. P-E-R-S-P. I-C-U-I-T-Y. Perspicuity. That's pretty good. Ding! Spelling bee champion right here. Perspicuity means that the Bible is understandable. It's understandable. The fact that you can understand what the Bible means. It's clear. It makes sense. It has a point. It's not up for interpretation in that kind of way. See, people use the word interpretation as if we can project what we think the text means and make it mean that. No, you can't do that. There is a right way of understanding what the Bible means, and there is a wrong way of understanding what the Bible means. It means something. Are there some texts that are difficult to understand? Absolutely. Peter said that about Paul himself. He said that. He said, you know what, Paul, he writes about these certain things. There are some things that he writes that are hard to understand. Maybe the book of Romans is one of those things, if you've ever read that book. It can be difficult to understand, but not impossible. And just because it's hard to understand doesn't mean it doesn't have a meaning, right? This is what some people say about the Bible. There's one famous example in Genesis chapter 6 where we don't really know what it means. It's where these things called the Nephilim come. Have you heard of that verse before? It says, let me just quote it for you. When the man, when man began to multiply in the face of the land and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were attractive and they took as their wives any that they chose. And there's a debate as to who are those sons of God? Are they fallen angels? Are they demons that have possessed people's bodies and then captured women to have children with them? Or is it giants, you know, and we don't really know. We don't know what it means, but it means something, right? It has a definite meaning. We don't know what it means, but that's really not a huge deal. Why? Because it doesn't say we have to know what it means. (laughs) It's not based on my interpretation. Why then do so many misunderstand God's word? 
The reason many people misunderstand God's word is not because God's word is unclear, but because their hearts are dark. This is why we don't understand or see God's word clearly. Um, The Bible says that the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of Christ. It says about Jewish people, you ever wonder why Jewish people reject Jesus as the Messiah? Well, the Bible says why. It says, let me quote it for you exactly. It says, a veil lies over their hearts whenever they read Moses so that they can't see Jesus being the Messiah. And they reject him until a time in God's point in history when he removes the veil from their hearts and there is a big revival among the Jewish people. There is a spiritual aspect to reading and understanding God's word that we don't have control over. This is the key reason why people can read. Jesus Christ came to earth. He died on the cross. He rose again from the dead, but not actually believe it and not actually understand all the implications for their life because their hearts are dark. They have to have illumination, don't they? Even David, the psalmist, you know him, he prays consistently the whole book of, uh, much of the book of Psalms, much of the book of, of the chapter 119 is him asking God to help him understand God's word. Ask that all the time. Even as a follower of Christ, you need illumination to see and understand what God's word really means and how it applies. This is what David said. Teach me, O Lord. Listen to the number of times he says teach or ask God to help him understand God's word just in these few verses, okay? You count them. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will keep it to the end. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. Lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Just four verses. I counted four times. Is that how many you counted? Four, you counted five? Okay, I'll go back and look at that. My eyes weren't open to see it, right? We even need God's spirit to help us understand God's word, even as Christians, don't we? This is illumination. Scripture's meaning doesn't come from your interpretation of the scripture. It means something specific. No prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. That's the first thing that it doesn't mean. This first place it doesn't come from, that is. The second place it doesn't come from, we see in verse 21. He says, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. So we see the second place that scripture does not come from. It does not come from someone's interpretation of the prophecy. Nor does prophecy come from the will of man. It doesn't come from a decision that the person made. It's not from his desire to do something here. It, it comes from somewhere else. I'm going to give you right now two marks of a real prophet because some of you need to hear this today because some, some of you are very gullible to believe anything anybody on YouTube says in some kind of thing that they call prophecy. Two marks of a real prophet, okay? The first one is this. Number one, willingness to say unpopular things. Real prophets, in God's word, often said unpopular things. Isaiah is a great example of that. Isaiah, he hears God's voice, and God says, who will go, whom shall I send? And Isaiah says, woe is me, I'm undone. And he goes through this purification process. He finally surrenders his life to the Lord, and the Lord tells him the message that Isaiah is to say to God's people. And here's what he says. 
Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn to be healed. Isaiah wants to know how long he has to give this message of prophecy to God's people. It says in verse 11, How long, O Lord? And he said, Until cities lie waste without inhabitant and houses without people, and the land is a desolate waste, and the Lord removes people far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. Here's the message that I want you to share, God says to Isaiah. You're not going to believe. You're not going to understand. How long should I do it? Until they're completely ruined. This is a key mark of a real prophet in Scripture. It's people who are willing to say things that are difficult. Pay attention to God's word. Listen up right now, everybody. Raise up your eyebrows. Pay attention to God's word. They're so upset, God's people were with Isaiah, they actually persuade him to stop prophesying. (laughs) They say to the Isaiah chapter 30 verse 10. They say to the seers, see no more visions and to the prophets, give us no more visions of what is right. Tell us pleasant things. Prophesy illusions. <laughs> that sounds to me like the false teachers in the later times who will give these people their itching ears what they want to hear. Remember that? A real sign of a real prophet is he's willing to say things that are that are difficult to accept and actually result in his harm. So many prophets today that you see on the internet, they do things because they want a following. They're not real prophets, friends. They're fake, and you should stop listening to them, church family, as your shepherd. Stop believing all that garbage you see on YouTube because somebody claims to be a prophet. That's baloney. Get your head in God's word. Get your head in God's word. It is silly of you to claim to be a follower of Christ, to have your nose and your eyes on YouTube, and neglect the clear revelation of God's word in the Bible. Second mark of a real prophet is because their prophecies actually come true. (laughs) Real prophets' prophecies come true. And if they don't have a prophecy that comes true, guess what? They're fake. Reject them. This says this in God's word. Jeremiah chapter 28 verse 9. As for the prophet who prophesies of peace, when the word of the prophet comes to pass, the prophet will be known as one whom the Lord has truly sent. Look at this one, Deuteronomy 18, 20 through 22. The prophet who presumes to speak a word of my name that I have not commanded him to speak. Now here's a fake prophet. Or who speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet shall die. This is how God feels about fake prophets. And if you say in your heart, how may we know the word that the Lord has not spoken? Here's how, when a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him. You see, friends, true prophecy of Scripture, and this is primarily talking about prophecies about Jesus' return, true prophecies of Scripture are not just people things that people make up. They don't just come up with them on their own. It doesn't come from their interpretation. It doesn't come from their will or what they wanted to say because often they had to say things that God told them to say that they didn't even want to say. There's the first point. How Scripture does not come. Well, here's the second point. Number two, if you're a note taker, how Scripture came. 
how scripture came. We start seeing this in verse 21. No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke. There's the first part. Men spoke. Do you see that in verse 21? Look at it on the screen, the text here. But men spoke. The prophecy meaning isn't determined by someone's interpretation. If it doesn't come from the will of man, then what role does the man have to play? Well, the man actually speaks God's words. It comes from his mouth. He speaks it, and it's not robotic. There's a theory that's a wrong theory. It's called the dictation theory. The dictation theory says that when the scripture was inspired, that the Holy Spirit so overcame people that they were like robots whenever they actually wrote or spoke God's words. They, God dictated every single word to and through them so that they were basically zoned out, not using their minds, like a pen in the hand in your hand when you're writing something. That is not the right kind of theory about how, how God's word was written because it says right here, the men spoke. They used their own words. You see that, you see characteristics for those of you that read the Bible consistently. You see characteristics in the writers, don't you? Paul is like this guy, he had the squirrel disease, you know? He's like, uh, uh, praise be our squirrel. And he's like, oh, by the way, and the squirrel back here, Paul just put a period in there every now and then, you know? Good grief. And then John, you know, if you read the book of First John, the guy, he's having mental lapses or something because he's coming back over and over again to the things he says. He's like, oh, this and the love of God will do you to this. And it's like, dude, I got it, you know? They have personalities in their writing, don't they? Men really spoke in their own words to write what God wanted them to write. Now, here's something that makes Christianity very distinct from every other religion. Every other religious textbook was written by one person. Did you know that? Every other major religion, every other textbook of every other major religion was written by one person, except for the Bible. You talk about Baha'i faith, the Seven Valleys and Four Valleys book, written by one man. Buddhism, the Tripitaka, I butchered that name, I'm sure, written by one man. Hinduism, many holy books, but the Bhagavad Gita, written by one man. Islam, the Quran, written by one man. Shintoism, the Kojiki, written by one man. The Bible, 40 plus different authors, nearly 2,000 years time. Now, just think about this logically for a second. Which one do you think is more likely to be true? One that just one person wrote by themselves over a short period of time? Or one that 40 plus people wrote over nearly 2,000 years and their story actually agrees with each other and communicates one big long thing? That's impossible unless God actually did it, right? So, men spoke, but they spoke from God. They spoke from God. You see that in verse 21. No prophecy was ever produced from the the will of man, but men spoke from God. It's their words, but the message is from God. Here are a few examples of that in the scripture. Hosea chapter 12, verse 10. God said, I also have spoken by the prophets 
and have multiplied visions. I have given symbols through the witness of the prophets. God gave them visions of things to see in order to tell them to other people. How about Numbers chapter 12, verse 6? Hear now my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak to him in a dream. This is how God communicated his message to prophets. He shows himself to them in a dream, shares a message, and they use their own words to share that very message. Scripture is God's message through the words of people. Have you ever played the game telephone before? You know that game? It's a communication game where you kind of sit in a line. Usually you play it as kids. You sit in a line, there's a group of people, maybe a circle. But one person will decide a phrase that they want to tell the first person in the line. It could be anything, you know, let's say bananas are terrible. Sorry if you banana fans, but anyway. Bananas are terrible is the first message. And they showed, whisper it. What they do is they whisper that message into the ear of the first person. So only that person can hear it. Okay, bananas are terrible. Got it. So they take that message and then they whisper it into the ear of the person sitting beside them. What they heard, that is. And then this person takes what they heard and they whisper it to the next person and the next person and the next person until you finally get to the end of the chain and then what happens? They say something like, my manners are smearable or something crazy, you know. The message gets mixed up by the time it gets to the end. They they come to the end and say, the Chiefs are going to win the Super Bowl, you know. No, I said bananas are terrible, and everybody laughs. Some people assume that Scripture happened like this. That God gave the message to people, but there's a miscommunication thing there, not because God's fault, but because we're imperfect, right? And maybe they misheard something and wrote something wrong, especially because they're men. Hello, men. We don't hear very well unless we're looking at you, right? So this is likely what happened then with God's word. Yeah, God said it, but there's something that happened in what they wrote where it broke down. But consider what it says in the next part of the verse. No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. I'm in verse 21 of 2 Peter. No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Do you see that? As they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So it's not just that the men saw God in a vision and he told them what to say and then they wrote it down. No, no, no. The Holy Spirit, according to this verse, is actually active in their writing it down and in their actually speaking. They were carried along by the Holy Spirit as they spoke. And that's what that phrase there modifies. This is how God's word came. This carrying them along is sometimes used to refer to ships carrying passengers along the sea. It's less involuntary than that here for the writers of scripture, but it's helpful Here's an example in God's word about the Holy Spirit's presence and activity in somebody writing down scripture. Acts chapter 28, verse 25. This is what Paul is saying about the prophecy in Isaiah 6 that I read to you earlier. I know this is very heady, but you have to understand this because this is so huge for, for why you believe the Bible at all. Like if you don't get this, then don't do anything the Bible says. Are you, are, you, are you tracking with how important this is? Here's what Paul said about Isaiah 6. Disagreeing among themselves, 
They departed after Paul made one statement. Paul's preaching. He makes one statement. He says this. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet. There it is. The Holy Spirit saying through Isaiah the prophet. Isaiah gets his message from God. The Holy Spirit right through him to say exactly what God wanted to say. God's word by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of people. How do we know then that they didn't mess up? How do we know then that, you know, it didn't go from bananas are terrible to the Chiefs win the Super Bowl? Because the Holy Spirit is the one whispering the message and guiding their minds and their mouths as they speak every single word that God intended. Jesus says, Scripture cannot be broken, quoting two words from the Old Testament. This is God's actual word. It's fascinating. It's fascinating and revealing when people who have claimed that Scripture has errors seem to find errors only in the things that they don't like. Why is that? Maybe the problem isn't with Scripture, but with our hearts. So there's the first two sections. We got what, how Scripture did not come. Second one, how it came. And then why is God telling us this? Why is God telling us this? In short, he's giving us a reason to believe God's word. He's giving us a reason to believe God's word and to do what God's word says. We have to go back to see this reason why he's telling us this. It starts in verse 19. It says, And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place. And then he has this phrase, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. See the main point he's trying to get us to do? You will do well to pay attention to this word of prophecy It's really good for you to listen here. It's like somebody saying, hey guys, you're going to want to listen to this. I've got great news for you. You're going to want to lean into this. And then he gives them a reason to lean in. Because this comes actually from God himself. Because this is not from somebody's interpretation, whatever you say. No, no, no. This has an actual meaning and an actual message from God himself so that every single word is true and it's God's message for you to hear. Mainly, the message in this context is the prophecy, the prophetic word about the day of the Lord. About the reality, friends, that Jesus Christ is coming back to earth. He is actually coming back in his body to this place and it will be a terrible day for many people. And that is what God's word says consistently. I'm not making this up. This is not my interpretation. This isn't from my will. I don't want to say this to you in my flesh because I don't like it when you don't like me. Hear what God's word says, those of you that are living for your sin right now. 
Those of you that have rejected Christ and you want to live for your flesh and you think you've got it all figured out on your own, hear what God's word says about the day of the Lord. Zephaniah chapter 1 verse 14, near is the great day of the Lord, near and coming very quickly. Listen, the day of the Lord, in it the warrior cries out bitterly, a day of wrath is that day. Isaiah chapter 13, verses 9 through 11. Behold, the day of the Lord is coming, cruel with fury and burning anger to make the land a desolation, and he will exterminate its sinners from it. This is not my interpretation of the text. This is the text. Do you hear what I'm saying to you? There is a day when Jesus Christ is going to come to earth and he will exterminate every sinner from the face of the earth. The Bible compares his coming with a man riding a horse and the blood will be so deep that it comes up to the saddle from all those that Christ has slaughtered. There is a day of the Lord, friends, where he is actually coming back and if you are not his follower then he will destroy you friends well that's just your interpretation Jacob no it is not my interpretation it's what it says it's what it means friends well that's just something you want to say because you're upset with us I'm not upset with you this is not coming from my will this is what God's word says And God gave it to Peter himself and the prophets by his Holy Spirit. It's not incorrect. You can't wiggle your way out of it. It's what God says will happen. The sad thing is that we aren't much different from those who rejected God's word in Peter's day. There are parts of the word of God even parts that we don't even want to believe. For me, that's been about God's sovereignty in the last couple of years. I don't even want to believe that. I mean, no, it says that, but I just don't want to believe that, you know. For some of you, it's what God's word says about sexuality or about faithfulness to your spouse or about Christ being the only way to salvation or about how it says we should treat people who claim to be Christians and want to be part of our fellowship but live in unrepentant sin. You wish that wasn't in there because you don't want to do that. But still, there are other parts of God's word that we know and we accept what, but that they mean and we accept that we believe them and we say that they're true, but our hearts don't want them. And we would rather have sin instead. Because we're rebels. The reality is, friends, we actually deserve what's coming on the day of the Lord. There's not one person that doesn't deserve to be annihilated by the wrath of God. Why aren't you in hell right now? Because we deserve it. But the amazing thing about Jesus is that the day of the Lord will not be the first time he comes, will it? The amazing thing about Jesus is that he actually wants to save you from that day.
Don't you know why he came the first time? He didn't come to judge and condemn the first time he came. Jesus came as one of us, completely like you, in the sense that you're tempted to sin, your inclinations, your frailties. He hungered, he thirsted, he was drawn toward sin by the devil himself one day for 40 days and 40 nights straight. But he humbly, obediently, perfectly obeyed God's word every single time. He always took God's word as God's word and said, not my will, but your will be done. He always treated God's word like we should have treated and we should treat it. Isn't that amazing? And then he actually, this is even even better here, and then he actually suffered like we deserve to suffer. On the cross, Jesus Christ dies for you in your place. You have rejected God's word. I don't care what that means. I don't want to do what that says. Every day there's things I don't want to do what you say. And Christ says, I know that. I'm going to do it for you. And I'm going to die on the cross in your place, suffering the wrath, the anger that you deserve from God. When the father says, turns his face away from his son and says, I never knew you, depart from me. Like he should have said to you, like he should say to me. But he doesn't just give us a blank slate. He actually gives us his righteousness at the same time. He takes on your sin on the cross, suffering the penalty you deserve, and gives you his good record. So that when the Father looks at you, united in Christ, when you put your faith in Christ, you turn from your sin, you believe in Him, the Father does not see your poor record. He sees the righteousness of Christ Himself on you, in you. And now He says to you, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Praise God. And so now, what does Jesus call us to do? He didn't stay dead, by the way. He actually got up from the dead. That proved that his sacrifice for sin was accepted by God the Father. It proved he actually is God. Everything he said about himself is actually true. He is victorious over death, over sin, over hell, over your sin. You're forgiven if you are in Christ, never to be condemned ever again because he has risen again from the dead. And now he demands, he calls every single person to do two things. Believe in him. Believe in what he says. Believe in who he is. Put your confidence in his works and not your own. Put your trust in him and not in yourself. And repent of your sin You have to acknowledge that the way that you've been living your life has led you to hell. And you actually have to reject it and you have to surrender your life to Jesus Christ. 
This is what he commands you to do. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Believe in Christ, repent of your sin, surrender yourself to him today. If you have done that, if you will do that, friends, then the day of the Lord is not a day of wrath for you. The day of the Lord becomes a day of rejoicing for you. Because that's the day you start to see the bodies of the saints rise up into heaven who have gone on before you to meet the Lord in the air. And you find yourself suddenly projected upward by God's power to meet him with the Lord in the air. And then the day of wrath occurs for those who have rejected Jesus Christ and you are saved from that day. Friends, This is not my interpretation in the way that you think of it. This is what the word says. Why would I ever, how could I ever make this up? Will you believe it? Will you believe it? How seriously then do you take God's word? How much are you paying attention to God's word? All of it. Not just the parts that you like that resonate with you because of promise that's, you know, those verses about so-and-so getting what's coming to them. I love those, you know. (laughs) God's going to judge them. Ooh, that's my favorite. Why? Because you're bitter. (laughs) and you're angry, and you won't forgive them. All of God's word are you paying attention to? Are there parts of God's word that you know what he says, but you, well, I just don't know about that because there's this issue of interpret Baloney. Baloney. Every single word is true. It comes from God. You cannot explain your way out of it. And one day, Jesus Christ will return and he will make recompense for what you have done with his word. Turn from your sin, humble yourself before the Lord and he will exalt you in due time. The Lord lifts up the downtrodden. He helps those who are weak. Hear the word of the Lord. Do what it says. Don't just read it. Cherish it as the centerpiece of everything, every single thing you do in your life. This is God's actual.